Welcome to another episode of Propcast, a property podcast that aims to educate, inspire, and engage property investors. We are your hosts, Dami Shiambala and Bimbala Osaige. Hi, Dami. How are you doing? Hi, Bimbala. I am well, thank you. How are you? It's cool. I'm cool. Excited. We're podcasting again. I get really excited about podcasting, actually. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, we get to share some value. We get to share some of our knowledge and um, we get to have a, a nice chat. Today, I think that we should talk about some of the challenges that we face as investors because I am not the happiest bunny. I'm going to share this as we podcast, but um, yeah, I think I've just hit one of the challenges that you face as an investor so every every other week it's always been good news getting offers accepted all over the place buying here and there completing life has been good but today it's a different story but anyway let's just get straight into it right because i'm thinking everyone's thinking what's she talking about yeah i'm thinking what are you talking about (laughs) what are you talking about (laughs) well you've heard the saying the good the bad and the ugly right so as much as we share the good, um, the good, the successes in investing in properties, we also would like to share, or we also should share some of the challenges, which is the bad and the ugly, that we face as investors. So today's topic is the top challenges you would face as an investor. So let's go. Let's go. Let's yeah. go. And these are by no means an exhaustive list. They're just some of the things that... Um, both you and I have faced and, you know, we believe that you can also face when investing in property, right? Yeah. So the first one, do you want to go, you want to go on the first one? Yeah, let's do the first one. The first one is low valuation. Um, one of the strategies that I love is the BRA, the BRR, which is the buy, refurbish, refinance, repeat or rent strategy where you buy a piece of property property you do it up i.e you refurbish and then you go to the bank to get a refinance or to get it remortgaged now at that point where you need a refinance or remortgaging the whole idea is that you get a good enough valuation a great valuation that basically allows you to take out the money that you've put in as an initial investment I suppose that that also go even if you're not doing a buy refurbish refinance just by share um just by you owning a, a, an asset at some point if you're trying to release equity from that property you would need to get the property valued so that you can also I say so that the bank can see the value in the property and hence give you the money that you're asking for now that's all well and good if the valuation comes back um, with the kind of amount that you think it is or you're anticipating. But the, one of the challenges, though, is sometimes you might not get the valuation that you were hoping to get. So just to put this in numbers, so let's say, for example, you bought this property for 100000 you've done some work, you're, you know, at the end valuation based on trends, based on research, should be around about 170000 Perhaps some other properties have sold in the area for that same amount and so on and so forth. 
Now you brought in a brand new property into the market. You're hoping for the top end of it. The valuer then comes, um, it might be a valuer for a surveyor that's been instructed by your bank. They've come in, they've looked at it, they've done their research, they've made some calls, and then they come back and say, actually, this property isn't worth 170 it's only worth 150 and that might be due to various reasons it might be due to the current economic climate which might which could have potentially reduced the valuation and maybe the bank are a bit more cautious it might be that um, there's been a dip in just generally around the area maybe something has happened in your area maybe what you think you your value is worth isn't actually worth that much so perhaps you spent quite a bit of money on the kitchen hoping that the value will be excited about your nice glossy kitchen that's going to add an additional 10k on it and is and the value feels no actually that doesn't affects the valuation it could be for so many reasons but one of the challenge is that you then get a down valuation which then by down valuation affects the amount of money you can pull from the property so that's one of the challenges um, that you could potentially face as an investor because it does have consequence and the consequence of that is you might not be able to get all the money that you've put into the deal you were hoping for let's say 50,000 in equity you might not be able to get 50,000 anymore which could then have a cascading effect on other deals that you might want to do because your idea could be I'm getting 50,000 from this property to go buy the next property but if you're not able to get 50,000 and all you can get is 30 that might affect how much you have for the next property so that's a big challenge um, and it's a real challenge as well um, that we face as investors and I can sure uh, tell you I've had one of those too <laughs> is there anything that I as an investor can do to influence that final figure yeah that's a bit of a leading question but hopefully <laughs> you well, kind of my my drift yeah yeah one of the things i would actually say is when you're doing your numbers at the beginning it's always best to go for your list or your worst case scenario so in terms of valuation the valuation of a property is not a, a specific amount so it's usually within a range right you usually whilst you're doing your research you might find that the lowest that anyone has sold for in the area it's let's say 50k and then the highest is 75 so you always go with the range so when you're looking at doing your numbers go with your least case scenario so that you can determine if it's still a good um opportunity or not um and then if you then so if you ever got the down valuation or the list or the lower end of the of the range you're not as disappointed as you know you would have if you're just targeted the top end but then in answer so that's one point but in answer to your question there's certain things you can actually do to influence the valuation so by adding value to the property so if you're doing up a kitchen for example um that that's a good way um although it, the the cost of your kitchen does not necessarily add or reduce the valuation but you could add an extra bedroom if you could get one from the property. So there's certain things you can do that actually adds value to the property in itself. Um, and that in a, in a way influences or could influence what you're getting at. Also, I've also known investors to do a bit of research and actually hand over the research to the, to the surveyor, um, either, you know, on the day of the valuation or, you know, talk through, this is, you know, talk with the survey on the day of the valuation as you know the research that you've done 
And I think I've had people do that, um, and that also helps, or that could influence um, assuming your value is not necessarily very familiar with the area. Yeah, those are the two things I can think of. I don't know, did, were you, did you have something in mind that you want to share in terms of... Yeah, so I think you touched on it. And that, that research, um, they often refer, refer to it as a valuation pack. So, and in this valuation pack, you're going to... You know, the befores, the afters, as you said, research of the area, anything you can do to influence the valuer's decision. So if you can show the valuer that, you know, you've done an extensive amount of work, you've added an extensive amount of value, that will all go towards, hopefully, influencing the valuer that it's worth, you know, whether if there's a range, as you mentioned, it's worth the upper part of that range as opposed to the mid or the low part of that range. Yeah. yeah. And then if you ever find that all of that doesn't work and it's still a down valuation, it's not the, it's not a, a, a deal breaker. Like you don't pack your bags and say, well, this is not working out. <laughs> you pretty much go on to your next strategy. So, you know, and that's the thing that that's one thing I love so much about property is you don't always need to have just the one end goal in mind. You have your, your preferred strategy your preferred goal but then you should also think about alternatives so if in this particular scenario where you were thinking of pulling money out to maybe for an onward purchase or, or to sell or whatever the case may be you can then change strategy you can decide okay actually i'll do something different um i'll rent this property out and get a bit of money before i sell it so like the valuation can grow or i would you know you know maybe 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 even take a variable rate uh, a variable in a mortgage for now and just give it six more months and then maybe go back to the bank in six months time to see if they can revalue the property so there's so many other options you can consider uh, it's definitely not a case of well this is it and, and I'm, I'm packing my bags there's always a there's always a way it's it's one of those half um, glass half full scenarios rather than glass half empty okay so we move on to the next potential challenge um, in the property investment journey and that's void periods nobody likes that one (laughs) no one likes that one so in in a nutshell void periods are where you do not have any tenants in your property and as a result when you don't have any tenants in your property paying rent you have to cover the cost of the mortgage repayment, you've got to cover the cost of the council tax, you've got to cover the cost of any other bills um, that are associated with that property. And if you're if you don't build in an, some kind of allowance in your monthly takings, this can be problematic. So every month, if you if you have a property and you have it tenanted and it's cash flowing nicely. Don't spend all the money because you think this is going to last forever. You can, you know, because people, people's circumstances change. Maybe you had a young couple in there. Now they're ready to, for example, um, have their first baby and they need maybe someplace a little bit bigger or, you know, they want to grow their family. So they need someplace bigger or maybe they've separated and they just can't stand each other anymore. Mm. So they need to move out. There's a whole host of things that can happen that makes your property not have any tenants in it so when when you do have tenants in it what you can do is take uh, either five or ten percent out of the earnings and put it away for a rainy day like you know 
if you should have the situation where you have voids. But voids are certainly, at some point, they will happen because that's just the nature of the beast. It's only a potential problem if you have void periods for an extensive period of time. And uh, of course, that can impact your, if you think of it, it's a business that can impact your, um, or it impacts your revenue. So because if you're covering the cost of those things, it means that your bottom line at the end of the year is a lot lower than what you predicted or what you expected to have um, for that year. So that's that's the thing about void periods. So you, you know, when you do have an empty property, you want to try and do your best to bring it back up to standards as soon as possible. So typically, people would um, at the end of a void period, uh, sorry, at the end of a tenant tenancy agreement, um, people, you know, investors would look to seeing the condition of the property. Maybe they need to repaint the property. Maybe they need to change something. So they'll, you know, investors typically use that time to um, refresh the property and then market it again so that they can get individuals in um, as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So work periods are challenging, but I think that's one that you can prepare for. You know, if you have tenants and you have tenants who are paying, you can definitely prepare for void periods by putting a certain amount away every month uh, for, for a rainy day. Well said, well said, Demi. So let's go on to number three. Number three would be challenging tenants. And this is one that nobody wants. Nobody wants. And you can't really foresee this as well. Because most of the time you have a tenant. You, I mean, once you've done your due diligence, you've checked them, you've referenced them. They're good on the on paper. You bring in, bring them in, start the tenancy, and perhaps sometimes they're actually quite good from the onset. And then at some point, it gets really awkward, and um, it could be for various reasons. Um, um, challenging tenants. Sometimes it might be that maybe perhaps it's a, it's a financial challenge, which means they're not paying their bills or their rent. It might be that they just you know it's a really awkward situation with the actual people you know and you're not able to get into your property for repairs it could be it literally could be anything but challenging tenants is a landlord's headache and these things do happen and they don't happen all the time but they do happen every once in a while and then what do you do when you have a, a challenging tenant a tenant that isn't paying a tenant that doesn't give is not giving you access a tenant that is just quite problematic um, I suppose your best bet is to look to start the eviction process. You don't have to have people in your home that you don't want to be in, in your home. Um, so you can look to um, start an eviction process to to get them. But I suppose before you even get to the point of the going the legal route, which is getting starting the eviction process, you might want to find out what really is the issue and how you can help. You know, is there anything as a landlord you can do to help the situation um, to make it a better place for them and for you? Because ultimately, going even going through the eviction process is a bit of a headache in itself, and it's a very drawn out process. It's not a it's not an immediate fix, and it's usually the last resort. So, in your first instance, you want to just appeal to the human in your tenant to find out exactly what the issue is. And if there's anything you could do to help, I think it's just life, right? People go through certain situations in their lives and they literally take it out on everyone else around them. But yeah, challenging tenants, it's, it's definitely 
one not to be missed. The next one is the the next challenge, number four, is the inability to sell in the current market. And what this means is that you've, for example, you've bought a property, you've refurbished it, and uh, your the whole idea or you know your strategy, your chosen strategy was to potentially sell that property on for a profit. So maybe you bought it for a hundred thousand pounds. By the way, other numbers are available. <laughs> I know, right? That's an easy number to use. Hundred. <laughs> Someone would think that all properties are hundred thousand pounds. Exactly. So <laughs> I just want to make that clear. <laughs> other numbers are available. Um, you spend twenty thousand pounds on the refurbishment to make it, you know, nicer. Maybe you put a new kitchen, a new bathroom. You painted the house, and um, you've 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 modernized it, and. You get the valuation back, and the valuation is very favourable. So you're now the the value of the house is now one hundred and eighty thousand pounds, which means that um, between what you spent, which is the hundred and twenty, to um, the the new valuation, hundred and eighty, that gives you sixty thousand pounds worth of equity that you've now accrued in that property. And when you sell it, you'll be able to pocket um, a bit a big chunk of that. That property. So, for example, earlier this year, um, we had, um, we were, you know, the country was placed in a lockdown, and as a result, many people couldn't sell their properties. As or, even if they were selling it, the process became a lot more, uh, a lot slower than what it would normally be. So, if an investor wanted to sell the property within that time, and um, they they could have potentially found that you know it, it it the process took a lot longer therefore they weren't able to sell as quickly as they wanted to and of course the, the challenge with that is that every month you hold on to a property that you're looking to sell you are covering if if you haven't tenanted it okay and this is why Bimbala mentioned about having multiple options multiple exit options um so that in case your preferred option doesn't go well or is not possible, you have other options available to you. So if you know if you haven't tenanted the property and you're just looking for a straight sell every month that you don't have a t- uh, every month that you hold on to that property, you continue to cover the costs associated with that property. Um, but maybe if you have an exit option, you may, for example, uh, sorry, a second exit option, you may, for example, consider renting it for six months let the market conditions go away, let the market reset, and then go and try and sell the property. Um, so that could be a potential way to um, to, to try and um, to try and get around the fact that you can't sell in today's market. Um, but yeah, that that is a challenge. Um, trying to sell on property and uh, based on the current market conditions. Cool, cool. Going on to the next one. Which is expensive finance. Uh, am I, uh, I feel like I, I, I can tick all these boxes. <laughs> it shows you the, the number of years that I've been doing this. I literally can tick every single one of these boxes. So expensive finance is one that is not dear to my heart, I must say. Um, so as an investor, depending on the way that you're looking to finance your deals, you could potentially find yourself in a very... Uh, you can find yourself with an expensive 
uh, with the cost of finance literally is becoming unbearable. Um, and this is typical for where you're doing developments, for example, and you're looking for like shorter term loans. With short-term loans, they're quite expensive. They're meant to be short-term, meaning you're not supposed to have it for such a long period of time. And when you do the calculation, it kind of makes sense because it's quicker to get. You, you know, it's quicker to get. You can use such finance to buy any type of property, especially the ones that are unmortgageable. Um, but they are quite expensive. Now, what, what, what could potentially happen is you pick up one of those um, and you're hoping to finish your refurb or your development within a certain period of time so let's say you're aiming for like a three to four let's say six months period and then certain things get in the way you're not able to complete or finish your development you're not able to sell some of the other challenges that we've talked we've um, spoken about the low valuation the inability to sell and you know and so on and so forth and that could potentially impact on you repaying back those types of loan meaning that you end up having those loans longer than you anticipated, which then cost you a whole lot more. Um, so those, I mean, these things don't typically um, happen all the time, but they do happen. You know, they, they happen. The more you do this, the more you know how long your development will take. So you, you kind of get the right sort of finance in place. Um, and I think that the loan companies, like the bridge loan in, in particular, they're quite... Um, they, they, they know that these things do happen. So rather than they give you a six-month loan, they typically will give you the minimum of 12 months to give you enough time should in case things don't go to plan. But yeah, such such type of finance are quite expensive. And you know, and that's that's that that's one of the challenges that you would face as an investor. The good side to it though is it's I look at it sometimes as the cost of money. Sometimes there's certain deals that you're unable to actually do. Or partake of unless you take on these expensive loans. So you just have to think of it as the cost of money. Work it into your into your planning, into your budget. And if it still makes sense, then go for it. Because if you're then able to go for it, pay it off, it's you know the asset is now yours to keep. Um, but yeah, it, it's one thing. It's definitely something to bear in mind. And I suppose it's the same as for people that perhaps might have um, not great a credit. Where your credit isn't great, you might end up with a mortgage that is higher than what your your peers would get. So I think right now in the United Kingdom, our interest rates are so low. I, I know that certain people are able to get interest rates as low as one point something percent. For buy to let, you could get as low as two point something percent. But depending on your portfolio size, your credit, your personal circumstances, you might not be privy to those cheaper loans. And you might end up with something as, as much as 4%. So in a way, when you compare it to others, it's expensive. However, if that's what you need to get what you want, then you just kind of just suck it up, really. But yeah, it's definitely a challenge to an investor because for every extra percentage on your interest loan or your exp or your or your or your um your your finance, that's money that could be going into your own pocket. Yeah, exactly. So our next um challenge, number six, the sixth thing that we have on our challenge list is challenging tradesmen. So just as you have challenging tenants, you can also have challenging tradesmen. And what this means is your tradesmen who are the ones who typically carry out the work, the refurbishment, the, the beautifying of your properties or your investment properties, um, they can be a challenge um, 
and they can be a challenge for several reasons. It's not just one thing. Um, they might not be good at what they do. They might have their own ideas and they might want to take shortcuts. They might have too many jobs on their plate and meaning that they're not a hundred percent focused on yours. Um, <laughs> every, every tradesman I meet or if whenever I've had a project, tradesmen love to tell you that yeah we can do it in two weeks we can do it in three weeks you know it'll be all done don't worry about it it'll be ready and uh there you are three months later <laughs> still, still on the work point. still on the job mm-hmm. so tradesmen can be uh very challenging and you need to ensure uh, i think in a few podcast episodes ago we talked about we talked about your power team and we talked about having good a good builder in as part of your power team. A good builder is can be difficult to find, be difficult to find. But once you find one, don't let go and uh, keep them sweet because, you know, they will make life a whole lot easier for you. And, you know, even when you do find good builders, it's, there's still issues. So I think, again, one of the best ways to work with builders is you need to from the beginning, you need to know exactly what it is you want to do in the house. If you're doing a major refurb, you need to 90% of the planning should be done up front. And what I mean by that is you should know, you know, you should know where plug sockets are going. You should know what color the walls are being painted. You should know the positions of, you know, this is where the bed's going to go. So all of those tiny, tiny details you should know that as much as you can draw it out walk through it with your builder make sure you you know you for example you can maybe like you've got a blank wall and you want the plug sockets to go in a specific area Mm -hmm. you could draw that on the wall and label it plug sockets you can draw a box um for light switch label it light switch so you can do a lot of preparation work up front in order to minimize the conflict I mean, it's not to say that this will take away all the conflicts, but it will certainly look to minimise the conflicts that that happen when you have, you know, tradesmen working for you. Um, Of course, you also have this this honest tradesman um, that goes to say in any industry, you have those who are looking for a quick buck. Um, You have those who promise you, you know, a good quality finish and you know, what, what comes out at the end is, is not as, as great as they, you know, is not as great as they said. So there are many different aspects to working with tradesmen, but I think one of the, one of the ways to mitigate it is to be clear from the onset, to be clear before they begin, because there's nothing worse than one, you changing, you yourself changing your mind midway through build, because that's going to annoy the builders. And two, it's going to cost you more money. So the best thing is upfront, try and know everything you need to do. Try and draw it out. Try and um, signpost the things you need done. And then once you've got that, you can allow the tradesmen to get on with their work. And um, yeah, so I don't know if you have any, I know you've worked with many a tradesman, um, Bimbala, so I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, well, I, I totally agree with everything you've said. And um I, I have to say, finding the, the a trademark that works, uh, that, that, that you, that works well with yourself is, it's like one of the most, uh, so once you've found one, just be so glad and just keep them because it's so hard to find them. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a challenge. It, it's quite frustrating actually 
um, especially when you've given instructions to the you know you've given instructions like you said all the all the planning that you've done at the beginning and then you still find that some tradesmen will literally change the plan without informing you and then argue with you <laughs> about the changes that they've made so it, it's quite frustrating but once you find the one that you can work with it's it's gold okay just moving on because we've got two more um the next challenge is where the location of your investment property has not had any growth the area that you invest in has i mean when you're as, a, as an investor before you invest in an area you tend to do your due diligence what's happening in the area what's coming into the area that could affect the growth what's the economy saying and so on and so forth so you you invest with your with the best intentions however things may happen that meant that particular areas don't grow as quickly as you've anticipated that they would or a great example would be perhaps you've researched this area and the you know the local authority the government have a lot of money that they're pumping into an area and you can foresee what's going to happen and then perhaps at some point some of the the great ideas get pulled which then means all of this nice great idea that would that would have increased the value of the property as now um, is now not going as planned so there's so many reasons why a property might not grow as as quickly as you would have loved for it to grow um, and that could affect your end valuation that could affect the capital growth of the area um, and that's a big challenge and that's one of those where once you've done your due diligence there's not much else you can do um, but then, of course, there are ways around. If that were to happen, you just kind of sit on it until the tide turns over. Sit tight. You sit tight. And hold on. And hold tight, <laughs> yes. <laughs> sit tight and hold on. Okay, and um, the final the final, final challenge in our list is interest rate increase. Um, now, this one's a bit of an odd one because pre-show, I was saying to Bimbola that we've been expecting uh, a hike in interest rates since 2008. You know, since 2008, where we had the last major recession and interest rates were cut, you know, to, to quite a low point. Um, there's been talks of our interest rates going higher, you know, um, and again, that was at that time a reason why you wouldn't want to, if you were looking for a reason not to invest in property. That would have been it, you know, oh, you know, interest rates are going to go higher. It's going to be more expensive, so on and so forth. And, you know, till, okay, uh, 12 years later, not only have interest rates gone lower, but there's a chance that interest rates could actually, for the first time, go into negative, which means you would be paying the banks to hold your money if that should happen. Of course, mm. for investors, this means that the cost of borrowing is, is a lot cheaper. Um, but then, of course, the cost of uh, holding money in the bank is, is, is a lot more expensive. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an interesting one because, yes, at any point, interest rates could go up. Um, but for the past 12 years, at least in the United Kingdom, it's been a, a very odd one where interest rates have been very low. I mean, of course, due to economic factors and, and everything else, macroeconomics and, and, and all of those things. Um, but interest rates have been very low. At this point, as we speak, they are at the lowest they've ever been. And um, there, there have been talks. I've, I've read articles, interest rates 
potentially um, going into a, a negative. So it is it is a challenge, but I would say at this point it's in time, at time of recording, it's not a challenge that is maybe at the forefront of people's minds because interest rates are so low. But it's it's always something you've got to watch out for. So and that's why we've listed it. Yeah. Yeah, but I suppose for because of the fact that we've had such low interest rates for such a long time, then we already know that at some point it might go lower, but at some point it has to come back up, right? When that time comes, we are a lot of people are going to be scratching their heads because what you've been paying in your mortgage payment is going to increase. And especially if you're based in the UK with all this section 24 and all this, you know, the, the mortgage interest rate relief thing that is now no longer uh, uh, you know, for, for your investor investing in your personal name, your your mortgage interest is not considered an expense anymore. Imagine if you had to now pay more. Like, I don't even want to think about what this could mean <laughs> as an investor, but it's definitely something that eventually would happen. So if you're new in, in, in investing or if you're thinking of the type, types of finance to get, I think, Right now, it's still a good time to fix your interest rates, fix your your, pay, your your mortgage payments, because at any point in time, it's going to change. So yes, it might go down a bit more. We don't know. It's all speculation. But what if it doesn't go down? What if it goes up? We're going to be paying more in our, in our mortgage payments. So that's a real challenge. That's a real big challenge. And I think prior to 2008, I think the very first time they had a, um, obviously I wasn't uh, smart enough or old enough to have to understood what that meant. But prior to when they had the recession or depression, actually, I think the interest rates went up so high that people just couldn't keep up. And God forbid that were to happen um, again. But it's a possibility because right now the interest rate is so low that it's only going to go up at some point. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the ways you can look to potentially counter this, and we're not financial advisors, we're not soliciting any financial advice, please get your own financial advice. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you can look to secure fixed rates. So, you know, lock in for a, a few years um, at a time. And by doing that, you're locking in today's rate over the next five, you know, over the next two, three, five years. And what that means is for, you know, however long you're locked in for, you don't have to worry about interest rates going up. Um, but, you know, eventually, as you've said, at the time of when, when you have to, you know, uh, look at getting a new rate or getting a new mortgage, then, yeah, if the interest rates have gone up, you'll have to deal with the increase in, in payments at that time. So, yeah, but that's just a way that you could potentially protect yourself in the meantime if your if your mortgage payments are uh, sorry if you're if you're due for a new mortgage you can fix them for a longer term yeah. in order to um in order to counter you know some people fix mortgages for 10 years 15 years it does make sense imagine if you got a mortgage for like one point something percent i will fix it for a very long time because i don't need <laughs> no but seriously i, I mean one point something yeah. like what are the chances that you're you're gonna get any less than that i will fix it away that reminds me. Yeah, the longer term fixes. fixes tend to be a lit. The, the rates tend to be a little bit more than if you would fix for a two or a three year period. Does, but overall, it's still quite favourable because interest rates are low anyway, mm. right? 
know, you can if you can fix for 10 years. Um, but I mean, what that means, though, you, you do have to consider quite carefully, because if you do fix for 10 years, mm-hmm. it almost if you if, for example, on that fix, you have an early repayment charge, mm-hmm. meaning that if you terminate that, that um, contract or oh, sorry, that that mortgage agreement early, then you would have to pay, you know, a, a chunk of money to to exit that that yeah. mortgage agreement. So it would mean you couldn't, you know, okay. if you wanted to maybe use money from take take money out from the property yeah. in a couple of years yeah. and look to buy another one or anything like that, you wouldn't be able to do that. So you do have to consider it quite carefully yeah. when you're looking to fix um, you know, these mortgages. So yeah. um, that's just something to think about as well. We're not financial advisors. Please do get your own financial advice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that brings us to the end of of our challenges in property. Um, but <clears throat> hopefully what you've seen there is we've tried to also give um, some solutions to those challenges and some things for you to think about. So not just talk about the negative but um looking at different options in which you can you can use to circumvent these challenges so um we hope that's been helpful and um we hope that's been helpful and informative and yeah if uh if you found it useful please do share it with another friend please do like it subscribe to our podcasts and um we would love to hear from you and um yeah Thank you. Bimbala, any any last comments? Thank you guys for tuning into another episode of Propcast. I know you guys are enjoying this as much as we're enjoying giving all these tips. It seriously, I wish I knew had all this information at my fingertips when I was starting out. I would really enjoy, I would have really appreciated it. So thank you for tuning in. Do tell a friend to tell a friend to tell their friend and their mom and their dad and everybody that they know to tune into Propcast. See you next week. Bye, guys. Ciao, Bim. See ya.